Days 30 and 31 of Think Well on It by Bishop Richard Challoner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirtieth Day, Our Savior on the Cross. Consider first how the bloody executioners, having now nailed our Savior fast to the cross, begin with ropes to raise him up in the air. Oh, what shouts did his enemies make when he appeared above the people's heads! With what blasphemies did they salute him, whilst his most afflicted mother and other devout friends stood by, pierced to the heart at the sight. At length they let the foot of the cross fall with a sudden jolt into the hole prepared for it, and thus he hung suspended in the air under the most excruciating tortures, the weight of his body continually increasing the wounds in his pierced hands and feet, without any resting place for his head, but thorns or bed for his wearied and wounded body, but the hard wood of the cross. Consider, secondly, the infinite charity of our Savior and the unparalleled malice of his enemies. When in the midst of his torments he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. They grin and shake their heads at him, saying, Va, thou that destroyest the temple of God and rebuildest it again in three days, save now thyself. If thou art the Son of God, come down from the cross. Not only the common people and soldiers, but also the chief priests and elders, unite in loading him with a thousand such like reproaches and blasphemies, which he hears and bears in patience and silence. But, oh, who can tell us the interior employments of his blessed soul whilst he hangs upon the cross, his thoughts of peace towards us, his prayers for us, the anguish and dreadful agonies of the interior part of his soul, and the inexpressible joy in the supreme part thereof, and the glory of his Father, which was to arise from that painful redemption, which he was then imparting to poor sinners. Consider thirdly, the part of the Blessed Virgin Mother bore in the sufferings of her Son, and how truly here was verified that prophecy of old Simeon, that the sword should pierce her very soul. Oh, how killing a grief must have oppressed the soul of this most tender and loving of all mothers, who during the whole course of the passion of her dearest son, whom she loved with an incomparable love, was an eyewitness to all the injuries, outrages, and torments he endured. Ah, blessed lady, may we not truly say that the whips, thorns, and nails that pierced thy son's flesh made as deep a wound in thy virgin heart, and that nothing less than a miracle could have supported thy life under such excess of pain. But, oh, what a deep wound didst thou feel in thy soul, when thy dying son recommended thee to his beloved disciple, St. John, giving to thee the son of Zebedee in exchange for the Son of God. Blessed Virgin, how gladly we acknowledge thee for our mother, an honor conferred on such of us in the person of St. John. Oh, through all thy sufferings, remember us, poor banished children of Eve, before the throne of grace. Christians, learn the admirable lessons taught you by our Blessed Lady at the foot of the cross. Imitate her unshakable faith and undoubted hope, perfect resignation, patience, and fortitude. Oh, learn from her to love Jesus and detest sin, the true cause of his sufferings. Consider, fourthly, how all things seem now to have conspired against our dearest Lord. The thought of being forsaken by his father, and the grief and presence of his mother, pierce him to the heart. 
As for his apostles, one of them has betrayed him, another denied him, and the rest have abandoned him. His friends and all those whom he had most favored and miraculously cured now either join with his persecutors or at least are ashamed of him. His enemies insult him and triumph over him. His own body by its weight is a torment to him. But what of all afflicts him is the foresight of the ingratitude of Christians, the little benefit that they will derive from his death and passion, and the eternal loss of so many souls redeemed by his precious blood. Ah, sweet Jesus, suffer me not to be included in that unhappy number. Suffer me not to be so miserable as to join with thy enemies in crucifying thee by sin. Consider fifthly the lessons that our Savior gives us by his last words upon the cross. First, of perfect love and charity to his enemies, by praying for them and pleading their excuse with his eternal Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, let us learn from our dying Redeemer this necessary lesson to love and pray for those that hate and persecute us, and instead of aggravating, excuse their crime and impute it to their ignorance. Oh, how true is it of every sinner. He knows not what he does. Otherwise, he would never dare to fly in the face of infinite majesty. He would never be so mad as to renounce heaven for a trifle and cast himself down the precipice that leads to hell. Secondly, learn the efficacy of a sincere conversion and an humble confession of sins and the plenary indulgence given by our dying Savior to the good thief. Amen, I say unto thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Thirdly, learn the filial devotion to the Blessed Virgin, recommended to us as a mother by her son in the person of St. John. Behold thy mother. Fourthly, Learn the greatness of the interior anguish of thy Savior's soul from these words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Alas, it was for no other reason, but that poor sinful man might not be forsaken. Fifthly, from that word of thy crucified Jesus, I thirst. It is to be observed that our Savior suffered two violent thirsts upon the cross. The one corporeal, proceeding from is having fasted so long, suffered so many torments, and shed so much blood, the other spiritual, in his soul, by his vehement desire for our salvation. But, O oh, cruel wretches, who would grant him nothing but vinegar to quench his corporeal thirst, and more cruel sinners who, instead of satisfying his spiritual thirst by gratitude and devotion, give him nothing but the gall of sin and vinegar of wickedness, Sickly, from these words of our dying Savior, it is consummated. Learn to rejoice that the whole work of man's redemption is now perfected, that the figures and prophecies of the law are fulfilled, and the handwriting that stood against us is now completely canceled by the blood of our Redeemer. Seventhly, from these last words of our expiring Lord, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Learn both in life and death to commit thyself wholly to God, Happy they that study well these lessons which their great master teaches from the chair of his cross. Thirty-first day, on the death of our Savior, consider first how our Lord, having spoken these last words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, with a loud and strong voice, leaning down his head in perfect submission to his Father's will, and perfect charity to us, poor sinners, to whom in this posture he offered, as it were, the kiss of peace, breathed forth his pure soul, and thus ended his mortal life, 
which from the moment of his birth till now had been nothing else but a series of sufferings endured for us. Hasten now, my soul, and approach boldly to kiss the sacred feet of thy Redeemer. View his pale limbs, count at leisure all his wounds, and lament all thy sins, for which he suffered such exquisite torments. Consider, secondly, in the passion of our Savior, the truth of those words which were delivered by him upon another occasion, He that humbleth himself shall be exalted, and see how our Lord, having humbled himself to the death of the cross, was even at that very time honored and exalted by his heavenly Father, and that many ways. For during the time he hung upon the cross, the sun for three whole hours withdrew its light from the world, and at his death the earth trembled, the rocks were rent asunder, and the monuments opened, the veil of the temple, which hung before the sanctuary, was rent from top to bottom, the people touched with these wonders, went home, striking their breasts, and the centurion or captain of the guards publicly professed that this man whom they had crucified was truly the Son of God. Rejoice, O Christian soul, to see thy Savior's death thus honored, and learn under all events to confide in God, who will at last convert the malice of thy enemies to thy honor and advantage. Sit now down at the foot of the cross, and there at leisure. Consider thirdly, and repeat in thy mind the multitude and variety of the sufferings which thy Savior has endured for thee, from his entrance into the Garden of Gethsemane till his expiring on the cross. View them one by one, and thou shalt see that not one part of his sacred body, which being the most perfect, was to the same time the most sensible of pain of any that has ever been, was free from its particular torment. His head crowned with thorns, his face defiled with spittle, bruised and swollen black and blue with blows, his hair and beard plucked and torn, his mouth drenched with gall and vinegar, his shoulders oppressed with the heavy weight of the cross, his hands and feet pierced with nails, his whole body exhausted with a bloody sweat, mangled and laid open with whips and scourges, his limbs wearied out and all disjointed upon the cross. What he endured in his soul was not a jot less, but rather infinitely more painful than what he suffered in his body. Witness that mortal anguish which cast him into an agony in the garden. Witness that grievous complaint on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He suffered, moreover, in his reputation by false witnesses and outrageous calumnies, which is often dearer to a man than his life. He suffered in his honor by all manner of reproaches and affronts. He suffered in his goods, being despoiled of his very clothes, and hanging naked upon the cross. He suffered in his friends, being forsaken by them all, not to speak of other sufferings, which are usually more sensible to flesh and blood, viz. the ingratitude of those he had favored with his miracles, the triumphs of his enemies, their insults over his disciples, etc., and in all these sufferings he denied himself those comforts which he usually affords to his servants under their crosses, and which have made the greatest torments of the martyrs not only tolerable, but oftentimes sweet and comfortable. But he would allow himself no other comfort but that of doing the will of his Father and purchasing our redemption. Consider fourthly who it is that suffers all this, and thou shalt find him to be the eternal Son of God, co-eternal, co-equal, and co-substantial to his Father, the great Lord and Maker of heaven and earth, infinite in power, in wisdom, and in all perfections. But for whom does he suffer? For man, 
a poor, wretched worm of the earth, for ungrateful sinners, traitors to his eternal Father and to himself, for those very Jews that crucified him, for us mortals, who for the most part were never like to thank him for, or even so much as to think of his sufferings. O oh, how admirable art thou, O Lord, in all thy ways, but in none more so than in the contrivances of thy mercy. O oh, how does the passion of our Redeemer enrich and illustrate all the attributes of God. It is here we discover his infinite goodness and charity, in thus wonderfully communicating himself to us and laying down his life for our sakes. It is here we discover his unparalleled mercy in taking upon himself our miseries and enduring the stripes due to our sins. Here we behold the admirable wisdom of his providence in opening the fountain of life to us by his death. Here we learn to fear the severity of his justice, which fell so heavily upon his only begotten son, who had clothed himself in the semblance of a sinner to atone for our sins. Oh, what must the guilty themselves one day expect at his hands, if they do not prevent the terrors of his justice by instantly embracing his mercy? Consider fifthly in the sufferings of thy Savior the infinite malice, the unparalleled hideousness of mortal sin, which could not be cancelled out but by the blood of the Son of God. This is the chief lesson which thy Savior desires to teach thee from the chair of the cross. Thou canst not please him better than by studying it well. O never then be so ungrateful as to crucify him again by mortal sin. O suffer not that monster to live in thee, for the destroying of which Christ himself would die. The End End of Days 30 and 31 End of Think Well on It, or Reflections on the Great Truths of the Christian Religion for Every Day of the Month.